Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Welcome to Medicine Call and Happy New Year. Um, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus, but we're coming back with some excellent shows today, and today is the beginning of making a little bit of a uh, change in the topics that we cover. We've exhausted Obamacare. We've talked about how our health system, our medical health system, is really horrible, and there's been enough time spent on the the problems of it, and this year is all about solutions, and I'd like to kick off this year with an excellent guest, Dr. Brian Dixon, uh, who actually is, one, a practicing physician, a psychiatrist, a child psychiatrist, actually, and somebody who thinks outside the box, because we can't keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Dr. Dixon is on the front line, and he has some excellent ideas that we're going to discuss, but... A little bit about him first. He's on the faculty at Texas Christian, the new Texas Christian University and the University of North Texas Health Science Center School of Medicine. He's a practicing pediatric psychiatrist, and he has his own private practice in Fort Worth. He's an author. He's a CEO of Together Forward, a nonprofit think tank, and he received his medical degree from Texas A&M University System Health Science Center, College of Medicine. And he completed a triple board residency in pediatrics, psychiatry, and child and adolescent psychiatry at the University of Kentucky College of Medicine. Like me, his mission is to make our healthcare system better. And he spent a lot of time not getting sucked into partisan politics, but thinking outside the box and coming up with solutions, I think, that we all need to listen to, because it's from voices like Dr. Dixon's that's actually going to make a difference. I don't believe Congress has the answer. I know that the health insurance industry and big pharma don't have the answer. It has to come down to the doctor and the patient, and I think that's what Dr. Dixon has begun. Um, he has a few websites, and we're going to speak about them at length, but I want to welcome you, Dr. Dixon, to the show. It's absolutely a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. George, and I look forward to a great conversation. Absolutely. Let's kick off then. You have an idea for a universal health care system that is fascinating. Can you tell us, one, how you came to this, and tell us a little bit about what it is? Oh, absolutely. So um, at the ripe old age of 34, I was standing in the uh, administration of a, uh, a hospital's office, um, and I was speak speaking with the administrator, and I was in tears, um, and I thought, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I had reached a point of uh, practically burnout, um, although that, that term is actually very controversial. And I thought, I need to do something different. Um, I had worked at Eckerd for many, many years, uh, which is a, a pharmacy chain back when I was in uh, high school and college. And I thought, well, maybe I should just quit medicine and, and go back to work at Eckerd full-time because I can't continue to work in a system that doesn't value the patients nor does it value um, uh, physicians. And so... I decided then that I had to quit that job. I took two months off and uh, lived off savings, and uh, and I began to think of a new way of doing things. And as I um, committed myself, recommitted myself back to medicine, I thought, you know, I really have to find a way to directly take care of my patients uh, and do it in a very transparent way. And so once I started my private practice, I, I did it. I started part-time because I was terrified of uh, what was going to happen, how, how I would actually make any money in, in doing this so that I couldn't take care of my, myself, my family, and my, my patients. Um, once I started that, that was actually the experimental lab, if you will, uh, and that's where the healthcare reform idea came from. And so um, the basis of the whole idea is that 
every medical transaction is a interaction between two people, uh, a physician and a patient, and there should be nobody else in between that. And so the, the, when we ask the correct question, which is how do we help people afford to pay for their health care directly, that changed everything. And so I built a system around that premise that if we could find ways to infuse American uh, citizens with money in their pockets, then they can buy their care directly just like they buy their water, just like they um, buy their uh, their cars, their car insurance, uh, just how they buy their coffee. And so, yeah, so that's where the everything init- uh, initially started, and then I grew it from there. Now, one thing that you mentioned that you're not mentioning is the government, and that's what fascinates me. This is about a grassroots approach, it sounds like, between the doctor and the patient, without these corporate interests imposing their will on all of us. I mean, your website is really excellent, and people should go to Change Health Today, www.changehealthtoday, uh, and watch your video. Because you talk about all of these things encroaching, uh, the big pharma, the medical insurance companies, uh, the government, you know, all these things that have actually come and taken a piece of our healthcare system and inserted themselves and driven up the cost. The way you're describing this, they're not in this system. Am I correct in thinking that? You, you are absolutely correct. So um, I, it's really funny. I grew up as a, a Democrat in a Democratic household. Uh, and then as I've um, owned my own business and I go to work every day and I wake up every morning unemployed is how um, the, my fellow <laughs> entrepreneurs put it. Uh, we, we beat the pavements. We work really hard every day. Um, I be I, I went back to the basics, and I, I literally went to Barnes and Nobles. I bought a copy of the Constitution, and I read the Constitution. And in the Constitution, it actually doesn't say anything about the government providing health care. It talks about you know um, the um, uh, the kind of safety uh, security of the nation, but it doesn't talk about health care directly. And I truly think that healthcare is a responsibility between patients and physicians, and not the government. Actually, the government complicates things. And that's why we are where we are now. When they when they instituted the Medicare Act, I think in 1965, 67, I can't even remember at this point, um, it actually set about a chain that has distorted medicine ever since. Um, it's, it's distorted how physicians think of themselves. Um, it's uh, distorted how patients think of their physicians. It's distorted how things are actually paid. So, yeah, I, uh, my plan completely eliminates the involvement of federal and state government. Um, so that then uh, patients have a transparent way of knowing healthcare costs and being able to um, pay for that healthcare when they when they need it. Now I can imagine you must be getting, and I shouldn't assume, but I was I've gotten pushback from folks who talk about people who are indigent and how it's unfair and you're trying to kill them. How much are you getting from that crowd, that aspect of the voices out there? That what if you're poor and you can't afford it and it's not fair? I mean, it makes it sound that those folks need to be taken care of by somebody else. And the advocates for that mindset are merciless and, I I think, disingenuous about if they don't have coverage, they don't have insurance, then they can't access the system. How do you answer those questions? Because I'm sure that has to come up. Absolutely, it does. Every every single time I give my, my talk, so, um, Dr. George, I'm going to become the probably one of the most hated men in America for offering this particular part of the solution. Um, I, I grew up. Uh, I grew up where we had to use food stamps. I grew up in a, a church household, um, and so uh, we could have a whole different uh, discussion about uh, religion and, and that sort of thing. But um, in my plan, what I actually propose is that for um, in the way that the system is set up, we're essentially creating state-based health Costcos, if you will, where uh, each state, um, each person in the state is responsible to the other people in the state, and they uh, each uh, citizen buys into their own basically co-op um, uh, at the state level. And so, uh, in that in that um, in that paradigm, in that structure, for the folks who can't afford to pay into the system. What I actually advocate and suggest is that we eliminate the uh, tax uh, the tax exemption for all hospitals uh, and churches across America. And uh, for every dollar that a church or a hospital spends, 
in covering someone's care, that's where they get their tax write-off. Because if you think about it, I mean, that's what most uh, major religious uh, institutions uh, and uh, ideas call for, is you take care of the sick, you take care of the the invalid. Mm -hmm. And then hospitals uh, really shouldn't be trying to uh, uh, make money off of folks who can't pay for their care anyway. But that's, again, another discussion for another day. But that's how I actually, uh, that is my suggested workaround. Of course, that's going to really tick a lot of people off. Um, but if if we're going to have a solution where everybody is uh, investing in the healthcare of our nation, then every institution, uh, from government, doctors, patients, hospitals, pharma, everybody has to um, adjust how they think. And so that's how I would actually cover those those citizens who can't afford to to pay for their own care. Well, I'm going to tell you, you didn't take me off at all. I think that's an excellent yeah. idea. <laughs> all of these nonprofit hospitals. Building out here in Atlanta, they're building out this massive palace in one of our main hospitals, and you know they're not paying taxes. You know they're pocketing the money, and they're they're literally siphoning it out of siphoning it out of the system with impunity. And they're still crying poor, and they want more money. And the Affordable Care Act was a piggy bank for these guys, as well as the insurance companies. They got literally giveaways from the government so they could quote take care of patients, and it turned out that these hospitals who took Affordable Care Act money didn't give charity care, I mean, at all. Right. <laughs> I mean, that is fraud, in my opinion, and I love the fact that these guys need to actually come to the table and play ball and stop gouging us. I love that. Absolutely. Now, that answers the question for me completely. I mean, I don't think a patient's going to be upset about that at all. <laughs> I can say that, you know. I completely agree. It's Yeah, I... I've always found it fascinating. Um, I'm a I'm a very direct guy most times, and so I always found it fascinating when I would walk into some of the the university hospitals, some of the the new hospitals around, even in Fort Worth, and they have mm-hmm. a piano in the lobby and marble floors, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean everything is just opulent and gorgeous and grand. And I think to myself, I'm not exactly sure how that actually helps people feel better. You know, no. uh, and so, no. um, yeah, and it costs a ton of money. The maintenance of that costs a ton of money. And as an entrepreneur, and again, my, my bills do not get paid if I do not go to work. As an entrepreneur that has to, um, you know, I'm my own IT guy. I, I change my own printer paper. I pay my own Internet. I call my own uh, maintenance guys to come in to, you know, uh, clean the carpet. I mean, and all of that comes directly out of my pocket when I when I see this this overuse, when I see this disconnect between um, what you pay into the system and what you get out of the system, it's just its absolutely infuriating. And unfortunately, our patients are, are suffering because of this, in addition to our physicians. So everybody suffers when we don't have transparency in, direct, uh, in a direct pay system. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, one of the things I think, and I'm going to discuss this, I'm sure, during the show, we have a, a disconnect between how we're perceived as physicians uh, by the government, by the patients, by the insurance. Everybody who's in our system has literally defined us. And I think that's part of why we're in this position. And we're going to take a break. But when we come back, I want to discuss that question with you, plus get into the meat of your psych plan. And what you, you know, you, you told us at the beginning what you, how it, it begins, but I want to flesh it out. So let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're having an extremely important conversation with Dr. Brian Dixon, who's the CEO of Together Forward. And I love the tagline, a down-to-earth, accessible think tank. I love that. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much. (laughs) It just hits right in the sweet spot, i got to tell you, because this is all about patient and people power at this point. We absolutely need to take our power back. It's, we're done trying to play the game. I think I've not played it. I mean, you obviously haven't played it either. But a majority of our colleagues and patients out there don't know that they don't have to take this, that they don't have to be just beaten down, put upon, to get their Hippocratic oath, suffer through indignities of someone telling them, that what they do is not medically necessary or they're trying, it's experimental and they're not going to be paid for their services. 
I mean, this is the answer. This is the antidote to this problem. And before the break, we were just about to go into your, your quote, psych plan. And it's an acronym. Can you tell us what it stands for? Yeah, so um, I thought it was a fun play on words uh, because generally the term psych has such negative connotations. And I love being a psychiatrist. I have the best job in the world. Um, and it's one of my lifelong goals to eliminate mental health stigma for all of America because we can do that. That is an attainable goal. And so when I thought about uh, a cute name to call my um, paradigm-shifting plan, I came up with um, PSY. CH, so practical solutions yielding comprehensive health care. Um, and essentially uh, what the, the plan does, um, in a nutshell, um, it creates um, 50 nonprofit companies, so um, one company for every state. Um, everybody in your state is a citizen shareholder, so they basically own the company. And by owning the company, you eliminate that perverse incentive to gouge the system, which is what's happening now. So Aetna, Blue Cross, uh, a lot of the major um, uh, insurance players and pharmaceutical players, they answer to their shareholders. And so, of course, um, the, the goal of a company is to make money and so because they have to answer to shareholders. Well, let's change our mindset and what happens when every citizen becomes a shareholder. Well, you get rid of that perverse incentive, and so that's where that idea comes from. So every state has a company. Every person is a uh, owner of that company in the state. That state elects a board of directors, um, the majority of which should be um, health-licensed individuals. That that board then decides how much the, basically the Costco fee is, the health, uh, the health fee is for the year. They also establish uh, kind of what's usual and customary, um, and uh, as well as what, uh, what diagnoses and conditions uh, can be covered by the joint bank account. So when you put all your, your fees in and all your money in, you can take it out, but only for uh, instances, only for conditions unrelated to lifestyle choices, which we can talk about in just a bit. Um, mm -hmm. Then the, the, the beauty of that system, now that you have 50 companies that um, uh, are in charge of healthcare, in so many words, uh, 50 private companies, those private companies can go and buy their medications from anywhere they like, anywhere in the world. So if they want to go to London, if they want to go uh, to Canada um, to buy their medications in bulk, that's where you get the cost savings without regulating the pharmaceutical industry. Because if you if you try to regulate the, the pharmaceutical industry uh, with their intense lobbying, it's never going to work. So instead, mm -hmm. change the market so that, you know, if everybody in Georgia, um, if the uh, company in Georgia decides to go and buy all their medications from uh, the U.K., then there you go. You get cost saving, cost savings. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, and then um, I'm a big fan of medical records. Um, uh, I like to speak the same language of, uh, of other doctors. And so we all need to agree upon some universal way of communicating, be that mm -hmm. uh, with an electronic medical record or, or um, some other type of network. Um, and then, voila, uh, the, 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 the beautiful part of the system is that now all of the um, responsibility, all the accountability is put back on the patient and the physician. And it's up to physicians to compete. And when they compete, that's what's going to keep healthcare costs down. Um, everything will be transparent. And so you're never going to call a doctor's office and, uh, and hear, well, you know, we can't tell you how much it costs. You're going to be able to <laughs> buy your care directly. Um, and uh, and then people are incentivized to take care of themselves because now that they have money in their own pocket, they're going to be very reluctant to part with it. So mm -hmm. they're going to be more likely to make judicious healthcare decisions. So um, yeah, so that's the plan in a nutshell. And uh, I call it psych just because it's a, a cute game, uh, but the the effects are profound. Well, there's one thing that I noticed about this plan is that it's about free market based system. So all of those, let's say the big pharma with their lobby groups up on Capitol Hill and their, their PBMs and all of these uh, peculiar and really bad setup that they have in order to keep the prices high, in order to have favorite status amongst hospitals or whatever, that's gone because if Georgia decides, hey, I'm not going to buy my, you know, I don't know, whatever the medication is from this big pharma company, they're going to have to come in and bid for it, right? So they're going to have to drop their prices to compete with me going out or our state going to London or, or Canada or wherever. That means they're now having a competition. It's no longer a monopoly. Is that a good way to see that? 
Absolutely. That's the exact way to see it, um, because the way the laws are structured now, um, uh, especially with Medicare uh, in the center, CMS, CMS uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, um, they are the largest buyer of medications, uh, and, uh, and they control all of that. And so, of course, um, uh, and then there's a law that they can't really bid down the cost of medications. And so, of course, uh, pharmaceutical companies are going to keep going up on, on cost. And so this brings the power back to the people. Um, and the great part is, uh, and this is why I love my system so much, is if your board, so if the Georgia Board of Health Management, whatever y'all call it, uh, I, I like to use the term Costco because people understand that term. So if the Georgia Health Costco elects a board and the board does a terrible job of negotiating for medication costs or drug costs, then you recall your board, you get a new board, you move on, uh, right? And mm-hmm. that's profound because the way it goes right now, there is no way for you to affect change with the um, with the Health and Human Services. Uh, I think those um, I think it was Tom Price, and then before that, Kathleen Sebelius. They're not mm-hmm. uh, one is a physician, but they're so hard to find. Like I can't pick up the phone and call them, uh, even though I'm a board certified physician. They don't call me back. And that bothers me. And so I, I, I love civic responsibility. And so this gives people an opportunity to exert that civic responsibility. Hey, I'm part of this company. You didn't do your job. Um, I'm going to start this movement. We recall you from that seat. We put somebody else in that seat who can go and aggressively um, bid down the cost of medications for our people in Georgia. And we move on. But, it, uh, but it's a very transparent type process. You know, there's two things I love about this is that it decentralizes the healthcare system. You just described exactly what goes on with HHS. You can't call anybody. You get, and if you go up to D.C. like we have to try to voice our opinion as a physician, you get an underling who says, yeah, 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 spouts off some nonsense and then walks out the door. And you know it's only a one-way system. They never take our, our recommendations to heart because it's always too big. And it's, oh, it's going to rock the boat. You know, they don't tell you this, but basically that's what goes on. And the second thing that I noticed, too, the Affordable Care Act has all of these, uh, these panels, but they don't have to have a physician on these panels. But what you've described in your 50-state plan is 60% has to be actually a practicing healthcare professional. That's a doctor, it's a nurse, it's an ophthalmologist, optician, I guess, dentist. These are people on the front line who actually see patients who are making the healthcare choices for the state. Am I correct? Absolutely. And and the great part about having a diverse panel is, for whatever reason, we've um, we've kind of siloed different parts of medicine or the or the medical profession. And so, like dentists have been off on their own, and uh, nurses are kind of off on their own, and um, uh, it doesn't need to be that way. We can all come to the table so that we're all working together. And so, I'm I'm really hopeful um, that we have a, a group of um, very unique voices when we when we take that approach. Agree. Instead of us fighting for turf, which I think correct, again, absolutely, it's, <laughs> it's a divide and conquer strategy, isn't it? If we're all it, it truly each is. other, exactly, we can't fight what's against all of us, which is an entity deciding our value and our worth, using us as a means to make money. We, we are monetized. I don't care if you're a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, a doctor. All they want you to do is get in there and see 20,000 20, patients, write as many prescriptions as you can write, get them in, get them out, and feed the pipeline. Absolutely, and that and uh, the result is increasing amounts of burnout uh, and what I call compassion fatigue. It's after a while you have worked so hard that you just don't care anymore. And we all went into this. Every single healthcare provider provider that I know of, um, and then know of and respect, they go into it because they actually want to help people feel better. Sure, there are some some apples out there who truly just want to make a ton of money. Um, but most people actually go into the field, um, uh, and that goes for nursing, medicine, and otherwise, because they actually help people. Uh, they like helping people to feel better. And so when we, when we over-monetize the system uh, and, we, and we have these weird perverse incentives, it skews everything. And there's a better way of doing it so that people can still make a fair, fairly good living, but also um, have the time to take care of their patients and get that, that work-life balance back that we, we so desperately crave as American citizens. I think you're right. And also, 
the, the scope of practice that's been, I think, also skewed, where people are practicing outside of their comfort zone. They may not say it, but they are. And that means everybody from, you know, primary care doctors who are doing advanced procedures because it's about keeping it in-house, not referring because of capitation, nurse practitioners maybe doing procedures that they weren't trained quite to do. I mean, these are all things that are being driven by a, a super, you know, entity deciding I can get cheaper labor to get the job done and I can, you know, make an algorithm out of it so that everybody can follow you know, a uh, some sort of guideline, but that's not medicine. I completely agree with you. Uh, that's one of the things that actually draws me most uh, batty about this current system is because of the way that the financing is set up, it skews uh, towards uh, putting people who are not trained to do jobs into positions where they're forced to do jobs they're not trained to do, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the nurse practitioner um, uh, movement, the nurse practitioner arena is uh, a, a prime example of that. I absolutely agree. I know it's a little early, but let's take a break and and pick this back up when we come back. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Brian Dixon, the CEO of Together Forward and a practicing pediatric psychiatrist in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, before the break, we were getting into the psych plan that you had. And I know that we're, it's, I'm fascinated by it, but another question that I have is what about Medicaid and Medicare? Is the government really going to want to give up those, I don't know, power <laughs> structures that they have? to control our health? So um, uh, they're probably going to fight this tooth and nail uh, because it's mm-hmm. a great soundbite for them. Uh, lots of politicians say, you know, we want universal health care and mm-hmm. here's the government. Uh, it is your right to uh, right to have health care. And, uh, and as much as I appreciate Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz and all the rest of them, um, I fundamentally disagree with them. I think that having preventative care is a right, meaning we need to emphasize the importance of staying healthy. And then um, having your um, desired version of uh, sick care, so meaning, hey, I want my doctor here right now and I want, or, or I wanted them five minutes ago. That's actually a privilege um, because uh, so much of uh, what we are doing in medicine um, can easily be prevented. We need to actually emphasize preventative care uh, before we do sick care. Um, but, yeah, politicians, for whatever reason, uh, and I think it's because of oftentimes because um, they have their own um, motives and goals, uh, they are going to fight this tooth and nail. Um, uh, but one thing that I um, it literally just the other day it dawned on me, what we could do with Medicare. So. Since Medicare is essentially everybody pays in that uh, 1.45% uh, from the paycheck every two weeks or every month or however often you get paid, that money goes into some uh, basically bank account, a federal government-level bank account. That money technically should not be gone um, other than uh, even though there's a, the idea that we're paying for care for older people. 
Um, and, you know, it's kind of like pay, you pay it forward. But um, regardless of that, that money technically should still be there in some form or fashion. Uh, and so what I actually advocate now with part of the psych plan is um, kind of how much money you have in uh, that you've contributed to Medicare. Put it into a health savings account for yourself. And then now you have an instant HSA that you can use to buy your care directly starting today. So um, I'm 30, hold on, I'm 37, I turned 38 this year. Um, and when I add up my Medicare contributions uh, over however many years I've been working, um, it comes out to be around fourteen, dollars $15,000. Okay, great. Um, now if we eliminate Medicare as it stands right now, everybody gets their, their um, share that they put in there. Now everybody has an automatic HSA that they can buy their care directly from physicians uh, or uh, their uh, primary care provider or whoever they want to buy their care from, and we can start the plan literally tomorrow. Okay. So I, I perceive with this kind of decentralization that there'll be a movement back towards uh, independent practices, to private practice, because now you're going to be able to get paid for what you do. And it's not coming from an insurance company where technically they're making you gatekeep because they're keeping a money. It's a profit incentive. This is all about providing care. It seems to me very distilled and very clean, and there is no secondary agenda. The board is designed to deliver quality, accessible, for real this time, quality, accessible, efficient health care. They're not making money based on denial. And that's a different right. mindset, isn't it? It's a completely different mindset. Um, one of the strangest things uh, and that I learned in, in basically starting my plan with my private practice uh, was when I first opened my doors. I said, I believe that my patients deserve to know how much they have to pay, and then I believe that my patients also deserve to know what they're going to get for what they're paying me because mm -hmm. um, uh, this is an investment in their health, and I'm not uh, I'm not inexpensive. I know what I'm valued at. I know my own personal self-worth, and I think that I'm very good at what I do. And so I created my fee schedule, and I said, okay, let's see what happens. Um, you know, I did my quote-unquote market analysis and looked around to see what other people were targeted. Um, uh, but I put it up on the Internet, and I said, let's see what happens. Uh, and because I work extremely hard, and I believe in uh, lots of education, uh, mental health education, I'm going out, I'm giving lectures, I'm talking, people started mm -hmm. coming to me, and they started handing me checks and credit cards, and I'm like, this is so strange, because again, I grew up a, a poor kid in East Texas. I, you know, the, the idea that somebody would hand me $200 for anything just blew my mind. Um, and I, that's how I, I began to practice, and um, th there are two amazing things that happen when, when you have direct, um, d direct care, which is number one, I'm accountable to them, meaning when they hand me that $200, then I know, uh, I, hey, I need to call their, I need to um, return their phone calls. I need to, you know, stay abreast of all of the new uh, changes. I need to make sure that I know what my side effects are because this is their hard-earned money that they're handing me. And then vice versa, when you when people pay for, well, the, the, there's an adage that says people pay for what they value, they value what they pay for. And so when they're handing me that money, they're actually going to be more invested in their treatment. And so my no-show rate um, now is basically less than 10%. So meaning um, my patients show up, they keep their appointments, they're motivated in their appointments, and when they go home, they actually follow through on the treatment plan, which is a very different um, uh, feeling from when I was on insurance panels uh, and uh, in, in, in that insurance mindset because people would cancel all the time because, you know what, you know, a $25 copay, yeah, well, you know, I, I don't miss that. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's a different mindset. My patients are more engaged. They're happier. I'm happier. It's a win-win it's for all of us. We're talking about a higher standard of health care. That's what you're talking about. When you compare that to someone who's in a conveyor belt office, where they don't even get to see the doctor sometimes. I've had patients tell me they've never met the physician. They've only seen um, mid-level. That's unacceptable. And a specialist practice never gets a neurologist or the Pullman, I mean, that's just dry. I can't even understand that. But now what you're talking about is educating the patient so that they start to value themselves, which is, a, again, a different mindset. I think people have been, over the past eight years especially, healthcare is the right, you should demand it, but it doesn't give the patient the, I don't think the onus is on the patient to demand quality. 
they've actually got less for their money. You've been forced to buy an insurance plan you can't afford, shoved into a system that you have to wait forever, get, in my opinion, and I've seen it, substandard care. Or if you can't afford, just still go into the ER. There's no change. Actually, there's been a decrease and a decline in our healthcare system. I don't believe it's gotten better. And those patients now become healthcare consumers. That's what you just described, where their money and their pocketbook mean something to them, and they're going to shop around for the best quality care. And the way you, if you extrapolate this, you become the alternative, the better alternative. And the friend goes to see you and says, you know, I had a great experience. I know how much it cost before I walked in. They talk to their friend and like, whatever happens for me, let me go check out what your guy is doing. And that puts the pressure on the system to get in line and get better or be gone. Absolutely. Uh, you're absolutely correct. And I, I've seen it from the patient perspective. I've seen it from the physician perspective. So uh, a couple of the physicians, the psychiatrists that I've been able to recruit um, were in the old system. Uh, they were in a system where they were expected to kind of um, uh, to help their patients, especially patients with mental health concerns, um, help those patients make major life changes and, you know, visits that last 10 or 15 minutes. And that only burns them out. And so um, as a result, I, I found like-minded physicians who believe, you know what, especially in mental health, um, we can we can do quality mental health when we have the time um, and uh, make sure that we don't expose people to a whole lot of medications because medications don't change everything. Sometimes it's it's uh, it's a combination, and we're we're specifically trained to do that uh, when we have time. And so that was that was one of the reasons why I think the mid level um, movement is so big. Um, whenever I hear from people, whenever I talk to people. They say, well, you know, I'd, I'd like seeing my nurse practitioner because they give me more time. And th yeah. uh, that, that is it's kind of a, uh, it's a recurrent theme. And so when I think about it, time in the system is because of how we have our financial uh, incentive structure set up. So in my private practice, I have all the time in the world. If I want to extend the appointment, I can. Um, and my patients are happier because of it. So then how do we extrapolate? How do we extend that idea that, um, that uh, how do we extend the ability for all physicians to have more time? Because once we do that, quality of care is going to go back up. And I think the I think that my plan can do that. Once we we change how we finance healthcare, everybody gets more time. Uh, they feel like they're getting more for their money, uh, and then they're more invested in their care. Oh, hey, I'm so sorry, I got cut off. Can you hear me? Oh, you're fine. I'm, I'm still there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, the Ability, the time is the key, isn't it? And the ability to actually spend time with the patient is the currency that I think what, what makes your office, any independent doctor, the most effective and powerful person in the system. And the fact that you have the guts to take your power back and do that, I'm just, and especially as a psychiatrist, because I think especially your specialty has been on, really on the short end of a lot of things. And you guys are almost the canary in the coal mine where, Insurance companies are like, oh, you can only get 10 visits a year. You know, it, it actually created the system, didn't it, where the doctor became just the prescription writer and you needed mid-levels to actually have the time to spend because the patient wasn't going to have coverage. I mean, that to me was kind of the beginning of how the specialists got kind of hosed in this system. Absolutely, um, it's it, 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 it's very disheartening and heartbreaking when you when you see the trajectory um, once Medicare kind of came into being, um, and it it emphasized procedures versus non-procedures. So procedure being you know some type of uh, activity that you do that's um, in, that's more invasive. Um, it prioritized those and, and de-emphasized um, um, speaking and talking and education. So education didn't get a lot of um, a financial backing. So as a result, it skewed the system over the last 50, 60 years. It skewed the system to produce more um, um, providers who do more invasive type things and less providers who do more talking and education. And as a result, now we're sitting at a major uh, shortage of psychiatrists and mental health providers. And then to, to add insult to injury, um, the system still continues to uh, push the idea of medication management, meaning you just throw a medicine at something, you throw a pill at something, rather than 
the more intensive and more beneficial um, bridge of medication and therapy and therapeutic intervention. So, yeah, it's it's a very skewed system, but we're going to change it. Yeah, and it's important to. I mean, all of the, you're a child psychiatrist, so imagine what you see on your end where I assume that children are coming to you who were treated by other um, practitioners where they were, like, medicated out of the wazoo. Is that happening? Because I remember when I was... I did a stint in a clinic in Pennsylvania, and it was an ENT clinic, and children were coming from Medicare, Medicaid uh, insurance, and the amount of psych meds those children were on was staggering. It was six-year-olds on antipsychotics, and I was blown away by that degree of medication. Do you see that? Are you seeing those kids come into your practice? Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's mainly because there's a fundamental misunderstanding in the system, in the, especially the financial system. Uh, but there's, a, there's this idea that medications fix behaviors, and that is untrue. So at, at, in a nutshell, uh, if, I, if medications change behaviors, I would put everybody on medicine and tell them how to vote if it was that, if it was that blatant. And so uh, luckily, uh, the, I got trained um, in my residency to do lots of therapy, to do lots of behavioral therapy. And so what I do is when I get kids in who are screaming, yelling, acting a fool, instead of trying to medicate them up and change their behavior, which is impossible, I work with the parents, we do behavior modification, I teach them childhood development, I teach them what to expect. That all takes a whole bunch of time, 30 minutes, 60 minutes sometimes, uh, but my kids get better and I don't have to use all these ridiculous medications. And so, but I can't, uh, the, the hard part is our training system continues to do things um, because of the way our payment system works. And so you're correct, lots of doctors do that, uh, but uh, like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight to my dying breath to get that, to, that paradigm to change. I love that. Hey, let's take our final break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. This hour has been, to me, one of the most interesting and important hours that I've had on the show because this is... uh, a conversation about how we take our own power back and move forward. You don't have to wait for people to do this. You know, yes, it's going to take time to set up your 50-state uh, solution. However, you can now find doctors like Dr. Dixon now. You can go to his practice. You can come to my practice. You can find an independent doctor that practices medicine where the patient really is the center of focus and not some call to an insurance company to find out what you're allowed to do. And if patients decide to make this change now, this is how you get the ear of your Congress folks, how you get the ear of the insurance industry. If enough patients say, I want to see a doctor like Dr. and I'm tired of just being just pushed along, that's how you make them change their coverage, you know, how they, what they extend their coverage to. You don't have to wait. This is something that we can start the process now with. I happen to believe that your solution down the road is it's going to answer a ton of questions. But I do have one as a private practice doctor. Is this a system that everybody has to join? Or is it just an alternative that covers the people who want the universal plan? Or can you still be a private practitioner? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and under my plan, all doctors are essentially their own uh, companies. They can charge what they want. They can do what they want. They can um, um, hire mid-levels. They can not hire mid-levels. Um, uh, they can basically run their, their private practices and set their fees however they wish. Um, and then there is no requirement for people to join um, the, um, the idea to join the plan. Uh, but just like uh, I, I jokingly say this, but the Constitution gives us each a right to make really bad choices. It is your constitutional right to make a bad choice. So if you say, you know what, I'm not going to join my state-based health Costco. I'm just going to go and wing it. Well, there, there are a couple of really important benefits to joining that Costco. So just like Costco won't even let you in the door if you don't have a membership, you don't get mm-hmm. the perks of being part of your state health Costco. The main perk being medication. So when you go to Walgreens, your medicines will be just as, as expensive, if not more, as they've always been, because you're not part of the, 
the um, that bulk buying program that your, your health Costco does. Uh, and then you're also now part of that universal medical record system. Uh, you're, you'll be, you'll have your own records like you used to. So those are two really important things. And if you think about it, uh, if your board of directors does their, their job correctly, um, your health fee for the year will be, you know, maybe 500 bucks, 600 bucks, just like a, just like Liberty Health Share. It's, it's that idea of, you just pay a little bit into the system, and it goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Well, if you said, you know, no, I just absolutely refuse to do that, that's fine. That is your constitutional right to go and make that bad choice, uh, peace and blessings <laughs> to you. Um, and so because everybody has a – everybody needs to have a dog in the fight. And so if, if, that, if that for some reason is very unpalatable to you, uh, that's fine. But just expect that if you get sick and you need medications, your medications will likely be four and five times what your neighbor who is in the Costco is, is paying. Okay. And where do you see the insurance companies in this model? Are they gone? Um, not exactly. So I think so. insurance companies are the, some of the most uh, wily and um, uh, flexible business models out there. They're going to find a way to make money. I think what will happen is that they will truly become catastrophic uh, providers of catastrophic insurance, uh, which is, I think, what they're supposed to do anyway. So they'll still offer catastrophic plans. Uh, but the beautiful part of the system is you're, everybody's going to, in general, know how much things cost because whenever the state-based health Costco board creates their charge master, you'll kind of know, okay, well, this is in general what things cost. Yeah, it may be that, you know, that uh, a different hospital charges more, another hospital charges less, uh, but you'll know what those cost. Is, and the um, uh, health insurance companies will also know what things cost, so they'll know how to price their, their catastrophic plan. Okay. I like that. So uh, this decentralization actually is all about individuals, if you really think about it. No one gives up their autonomy, which is, I love this. The doctor gets to charge what they what the market will bear and what they feel their value is worth. The patient will know what the which doctor charges what, and they can decide which doctor they want to go to. Nobody's telling them that they can't. The insurance companies step out and only do what they're designed to do, which is to cover big-ticket items. There's no... I mean, it seems to me because there's a charge master and you have people who actually practice medicine, you know, coming up with the cost for each individual uh, treatment, that there's no pre-certifications needed, that there's no gatekeeping going on. This sounds to me like the patient is the ultimate healthcare consumer, and because they have a dog in the hunt, they're not going to go for every little thing. They're going to go for what they really need because they're paying for it as opposed to some entity. You're absolutely correct. And yeah, and as a child psychiatrist, it's really interesting because most of the parents that I meet don't want their med- their kids on medication. And I remind parents, mm-hmm. I don't want your kid on medication either because every time I put a kid on medicine, I have to go home and worry about them. And I don't like to worry. Worrying is exhausting. And so instead, what the system is going to do is really going to incentivize all those other psychosocial um, interventions, um, uh, be it uh, occupational therapy, be it behavior therapy, be it play therapy, be it just uh, the importance of play period, we get to do, mm-hmm. uh, we get to build a whole new generation of kids who are resilient and um, who are mindful, and we do all of that without any medications. We just do it because it's the right thing to do, and then parents will have the means to be able to pay for it. So we're, we're on the cusp of a, a renaissance, of a revolution in how we do healthcare, um, and starting with kids and, and moving on up. Well, in I really want people to be able to contact you because this is not just about Texas. Really, anybody can can access your uh, your nonprofit, your think tank, and I would assume the more the merrier. The more voices you get in there, the the more people that are engaged, the better it is. Correct? Absolutely. So the best way to reach me um, is to go to my website. Um, my nonprofit is called Together Forward, so it's www.togetherforward.org. And that's kind of the, that's my think tank. So when I try to reach out to some of the uh, both liberal and conservative think tanks that are out there, you know, your American Enterprise Institute, your Cato Institute, uh, your Urban Institute, strangely enough, I can't get anybody on the phone. Um, no one is willing to entertain my ideas in the least. Uh, it's the, it's wow. the, the most insane thing. So I said, you know what, I'm going to start my own and we're going to make it in Texas. So there. Um, so, yeah, um, togetherforward.org, and then to watch my video, um, which explains the uh, plan, the, the psych plan, it's at uh, www.changehealth.today, so T-O-D-A-Y is the domain name, 
Um, and those are the two best places to start. Um, share the video, share the website, and the more, absolutely, the more the merrier because it's time for us to take back our power. And uh, we cannot wait for the government to get their act together. Um, that's like waiting for Superman that ain't coming and at all. No, there's too many um, fingers in that pie. And if you're c- cutting off their money, they're definitely not going to listen to us. You know, yeah. that's, they only understand money. And this is a pipeline that's set in stone. And they're very good at it. They make you think they care about you. They keep you on the hook for we're going to make it better. And nothing ever changes unless we make the change, right? Amen. You're exactly correct. They have a vested interest in keeping the dysfunction going, and if you're tired of it, it's it's, it's time to uh, build the movement from the ground up. And if people want to actually, you know, engage your services as the child psychiatrist, how would they, can they reach you? I mean, is there a way for people to contact you for that? Absolutely. So my uh, my private practice website is progressivepsychiatry.org. Um, I encourage everybody, every listener, every person to go to that website. Um, it's information about me and how we practice, uh, the expectations of what we expect from ourselves, as well as the expectations of our uh, patients. It's all basically a paperless system. Um, uh, and, yeah, I encourage people to go there to see how we've done it. There are other um, direct pay practices that are out there, uh, direct care practices, uh, practice models like the Oklahoma uh, Surgery Center, um, the DPC, Direct Primary Care Movement. Um, it, okay. There's lots of other folks out there, and um, I, I welcome people to contact me that way as well. Good. And I understand you're writing a book. Yes. Yeah, book, I actually right? just, yeah, I just published a book. It's called um, uh, Forget Obama, Trump Ignored, um, Volume 1, Healthcare, How to Lower Costs and Restore Our Collective Sanity. Um, because, and I named it that because I, again, I'm a, I'm a Democrat and I'm a big fan of President Obama. But the problem is uh, what he did in instituting the ACA or um, supporting it is that he, he accelerated a problem that uh, has been going on for a really long time. And so, um, and his name has such a charged political connotation. So I want people to forget about him. I want you to ignore the guy that's there now. Let's get down to brass tacks. Let um, healthcare is a um, a relationship based um, interaction between me and my patients. Let's just go back to that. Forget all the rest of those guys, um, and uh, bring more accountability accountability and transparency to the system. I can't say it better. And on that note, I want to thank you so much, Brian, for coming on the show today. I want to have you come back so you can talk about the psychiatry aspects of our healthcare system in detail because ADHD and all these other things really need to be addressed and you're the man to talk to our to talk to our, my listeners about that. Thank you again for listening to Medicine on Call and I'll see you next week. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.